0: be seated good morning it's always interesting i asked pastor reese i said did, did uh, the band and and uh, dr young know what what i was talking about today and he said well they had a theme I said that's wild i said the words we were singing came right out of romans chapter eight and that's where we're going to spend our time today is in romans chapter eight so if you have your bibles with you and uh, or your apps and you want to Turn to that. Any other places uh, that we go in Scripture, I'll point you to them, but I'll also put them up, uh, hopefully, on the screen. Everything will work right. Today, we're going to look at the resurrection life. Pastor Reese shared with us about the resurrection. Dr. Mittendorf talked about the resurrection now, and we're going to talk a little bit about the resurrection and what that means to come. But I've put it under a theme for us of last, lasting, and everlasting. And Our lives are filled with last things. We just heard today is the last chapel, the last Monday chapel of the last week before finals of the semester. For those of us in the undergraduate world, we rejoice, and for those of us in the graduate world, we, we smile and say, have a good summer working away. But we know that these things are all received in different ways. Sometimes last things are received with joy, and sometimes they're not. The last day of vacation quite different than the last day of chemotherapy the last final exam it's not nearly the same as the last day before your wedding we often think of things here in finite terms sometimes the last of something is the end there's nothing else and sometimes the last is just a transition just the start of something different this serves as a dividing marker for us a separator that can distinguish between things As we heard last week from Romans chapter 6 and Dr. Mittendorf, baptism serves as a last day. For the Christian, it's a last day of being God's enemy. It's a last day of being alienated from him. Through faith, which is given to us in our baptism, our separation from God has ended. We have been joined with Christ in his death, and he buries our original sin. He buries the guilt that has been passed on through generations And he buries the eternal death that we deserve because of what we think and what we say. Arthur Just, one of the Lutheran theologians, wrote a book that gives an example of how this transformation of the last day of baptism works in our lives. He wrote the following, Baptism moves a person across the boundary from one status to another, affecting a transformation from darkness to light, from being a child of Adam and of Satan into a new birth as a child of God those baptized enter a heavenly community where they now receive the gift of heaven and look forward to the consummation and full enjoyment of those gifts at death and the second coming of Christ." Quote. This is life changing in every possible way. You have gone through a death. I often think of people like Lazarus, the son of the widow of Nain, Jairus' daughter, tabitha who some people know as dorcas and others who were raised from the dead what was their lives like after that did they just go on like nothing happened like it was just the regular old life did they respond in some way differently because of that were they worried about the future about what was going to happen to them did they fear death the next time it came There's a great way that Martin Luther puts this in the large catechism as he talks about baptism. He says this, Suppose there was a physician who had so much skill that people would not die, or even though they died, would afterward live eternally. Just think how the world would snow and rain money upon such a person. Because of the throng of rich people crowding around, no one else would be able to get near. Now, here in baptism there is brought free of charge, to every person's door, just such a treasure, and a medicine that swallows up death and keeps all people alive. So we have a last, but we still have a lasting. We have a not yet. In our baptisms, we're made members of God's kingdom, and yet we still live here. We still live with the stuff that goes on. You know, I've had in my years of lifetime as a family member, and there is nothing more frustrating in the life of a family member, be it a parent or a child or a spouse, when a question's asked and the answer is, not yet. Are we there yet? Not yet. Can I open my Christmas gifts? Not yet. Hey, you're all in college. Do you need any more money? Are you all done with me? Not yet. Is that golf tournament over on television? Not yet. Have you done the dishes? Not yet. Have you fixed the sleek? Not yet. It goes on and on and on, sometimes more frustrating than others. Paul addresses this, I think, in Romans chapter 8. If you'd read with me verses 18 and following from 18 up through verse 25 together, this is what Paul says as he addresses this question of the not yet. Please read with me. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul, in the beginning of that section, looked at it through the eyes, as I read in Dr. Mittendorf's commentary, the eyes of a business ledger. He compares the present sufferings of what we go through now with the glory that we will someday see. But I don't know about you, accounting is tough for people. The devil works really hard in our lives during this not yet period. He works to get Christians to back away from all of these gifts, from this transformation that we just read about, from the gifts that God gave them in their baptism. You know, it hasn't happened yet, so just maybe, we tell ourselves, maybe it won't happen at all. C.S. Lewis wrote a wonderful uh, way to think about this through uh, his writings called The Screwtape Letters. And these are written, remember, from the perspective of demons who are talking to each other, one demon writing a letter to another, talking about how they're going to try to overcome and get people to leave their gifts of faith. And in that, Lewis shares, in a roundabout way, the Christian life and what it's about. And especially here in Letter 15... He shares about the not yet. Screw tape. the demon, is explaining to Wormwood about how to use this temporal life to get Christians away from God's plan of salvation. Think about some of these things as you hear them. And remember, enemy is really now God. That's the way the demons are talking. The humans live in time, but our enemy, God, destines them to eternity. He therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly To two things, to eternity itself and to that point of time in which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. In a word, the future is, of all things, the thing least like eternity. It's the most completely temporal part of time. For the past is frozen and no longer flows, and the present is all lit up with eternal rays. God does not want men to give the future their hearts, to place their treasure in it. But we do, the demon says. We want a man hag-ridden by the future, haunted by visions of an imminent heaven or imminent hell on earth, ready to break God's commands in the present, if by doing so we make the person think he can attain to either one or avert the other. Dependent for his faith on the success or failure of schemes whose end he will not live to see. We want the whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end. Never honest, nor kind, nor happy now, but always using as mere fuel wherewith to heap upon the altar of the future every real gift which is offered them in the present. Getting us to worry about the temporal future is exactly how the devil best pulls us away from those baptism gifts. Now Lewis says God doesn't ignore temporal futures, but he says they're designed really for one thing. How will a Christian serve their neighbor? Planning for that. But the devil says, no, if I can get you to worry about this future, if I can get you to worry about here on earth, not thinking about the moment now, not thinking about eternity, but I can get you to think now about a constant battle that you're dealing with, suddenly I've got you. Think about the things. Evil, disease, greed, lying. All of these things are pulling us towards the future, the temporal future. It might even be something like a presidential search. But God doesn't abandon us. Even when our lives are filled with the junk that comes from this world, from ourselves, and from our sinful natures. As Paul tells in the Romans in verse 26, God is with us. He reads, we say the following, I'll read this, you read along quietly with me. Likewise, in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who called according to his purpose. Arthur just went back and he looked at the life of Jesus, and he saw the temptation that Jesus had to go through, and he saw it as a model for us, of what the rhythm of life is. He says the entire rhythm of Jesus' life was the opposite of what the devil was tempting. devil kept tempting Jesus to glory first and worry about suffering later. Arthur just says he showed that suffering must precede glory. Suffering forces us to recognize that we cannot depend on ourselves and must rely <coughs> on God. Suffering is always God's opportunity to show us that he loves us. In Christ, God comes along in our suffering. He promises to us that he will always be there. And he calls us back to him as he would a father. We can keep asking him questions and he doesn't mind. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get irritated. Brian Wolfmiller wrote this in a book uh, uh, that he shared. Prayer is the confession that the Lord's promises are true. That his goodness is for us. Worry and anxiety are reminders to pray. And prayer is the antidote to worry. God is with us. And he says he will provide himself. And he does. In his word and his sacraments to get through this not yet period. He sends his Holy Spirit. He sends his own body, the church, into our midst. And I will tell you personally, as telling Pastor Reese, it was two days before I went to the hospital for a month that I last did chapel. And since that time, over a year and a half, his body, the church, (coughs) has been pretty powerful for the Taylor family. So thank you. We are not alone. God is with us. But we also know how it ends. It ends in physical death. Our earthly bodies are going to continue to cave in. We're going to end up falling under the stress of sin in each and every cell and in the world that surrounds us. God doesn't overlook this either. He lived and he died and he rose again to take care of that last day for us as well. Wolf Miller says along there, Jesus doesn't come to grips with death. He doesn't accept death. In fact, everything Jesus does is fighting against death. It is Jesus, after all, who came out of the grave on the third day and put an end to death's rule, and reign forever. Nothing can stand in the way of his love. There is nothing, not even death and the grave, that will stand (coughs) between you and your Jesus. In Romans 8, Paul goes on to remind us, and again Dr. Mittendorf shared in his commentary, as I read, that God is in action before, within, and beyond time. And those verses in verses 29 to 30 up there point us to that. They show us how before time God knew During our time, God is here, and even at the end of time, God will, in in fact, glorify and put those forward. So God speaks to us through his word. We're clear about what it says based on what his word speaks to us. The gifts that God gives us each day and the eternity that's to be shared in God's presence. So I picked out a couple verses. There were lots of them. But, gentlemen, would you read with me Philippians chapter 3? Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And ladies, would you read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 2? But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, What God has prepared for those who love him. The everlasting. Baptism moves us into an everlasting life. In verse 35 in Romans chapter 8, we skip and God talks to us about this, not yet, but also, I believe, into this eternal life. Who shall separate us from the love of God? We heard this in the song we sang. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, or sword, as written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Last year's that verse has meant a lot. Forgive me. What does eternal life look like? Well, Scripture's clear that we don't really all have that clear of understanding. We have pictures. We know what Scripture says. We'll be raised with an imperishable spiritual body completion and perfection will be ours there will be rest from our labors believers from all nations and from all time will be there there'll be praise of god and there'll be celebration and feasting in revelation john shares with us not only what's missing from heaven but what the key is to that he says in revelation 21 Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away (coughs) every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I think about those words, and I think about what they mean, but I also think this. Maybe heaven is the eternal presence. Maybe it's a place where we don't have to anticipate anymore. We don't have to wait anymore. Maybe heaven is the place where only the here and now is at every single moment we will reside there. Think of all the time on earth we spend thinking about what's next, what's to come, what's going to happen. And in heaven, our permanent home, it's now. And it's always now. The full effects and benefits of baptism, we won't know those till we get to heaven. We won't have to ever wait again there. As Luther wrote in the large catechism, he said this, The Holy Spirit must always work in and through the word, granting us daily forgiveness until we attain to that life where there will be no more forgiveness. In that life, there will be only perfectly pure and holy people, full of integrity, righteousness, completely freed from sin, death, and all misfortune, living in new, immortal, and glorified bodies. All this then is the office and work of the Holy Spirit to begin and daily increase holiness on earth through these two ways, the Christian church and the forgiveness of sins. Then when we pass from this life in the blink of an eye, we will be perfect He will perfect our holiness, and we will eternally, and will eternally preserve us. Well, what happens then? Ah, we get to join. We get to join in those who shout in heaven, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Until then, we join every day. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.